All right, open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 35. Jeremiah chapter 35. And the message tonight is about the obedient Rechabites. The obedient Rechabites. Here in chapter 35, we meet this special group of people for the first time. The Rechabites. They're part of the believing remnant of God's people. And they're so, they're so obviously different as a group of people from everybody else in the nation. Like I said, they're a special group of people. The Rechabites were a Kenite tribe that was founded by Jonadab, the son of Rechab, from which the Rechabites are named after. The Rechabites were sure that it was easier to live a godly life as nomads, wanderers, than to live in the cities, to settle down in the cities, where they would be tempted to compromise with idolatry and immorality. They didn't drink any wine or any other intoxicating drinks. They chose to live in tents rather than in houses, and they refused to plant crops or own vineyards. And this strict lifestyle was similar to the law of the Nazarite. The only biblical description of the Rechabites is found here in Jeremiah chapter 35. When King Nebuchadnezzar's army attacked Judah and surrounded Jerusalem, the Rechabites looked for protection in the city. Jeremiah tested them to see if they would live up to their vows, which we'll see in just a minute. The vow, he, so what he did, he set wine before them. Because, again, they had made a vow that they wouldn't drink any wine or any intoxicating drinks. But Jeremiah tested them to see if they would live up to that vow. So he sets wine before them and he encourages them to drink, but they refused. And Jeremiah praised them and held them up as an object lesson to the people of Judah. And that's what this was all about. They were an object lesson to Judah, who had disobeyed the laws of God. Because of their faithfulness, Jeremiah promised that the Rechabites would never cease to exist. Now, a rabbinic tradition says that the daughters of the Rechabites were married to the sons of the Levites. And their children ministered in the temple. Professed followers of this group still live in the Middle East, today in Iraq and Yemen. God has given us this story to remind us that there has always been a remnant of God's people. And he'll never leave the world without a witness to himself. Even in the darkest time in history that the world will ever know, which is the great tribulation period, still, you know, in the future, when the 144,000 will have been been forced underground to hide, there will still be two witnesses who are going to stand for God and witness for God. That's just the way God is going to have it. And even at that time, when Satan is being allowed to, you know, wreak havoc on the world, God says, I'm going to keep two witnesses around and they'll be pure and you won't be able to touch them until their mission has been accomplished. So Jeremiah's encounter here with the Rechabites is another one of those symbolic acts performed by Jeremiah. Now, the symbolic acts all follow the same pattern. God tells Jeremiah what to do, and then Jeremiah performs the act, and then the interpretation is given. And symbolic acts were used to get people's attention. Symbolic acts communicated 
the intended message in a visual, often dramatic way. For example, baptism, that is a, symbol, a symbolic act. You know, a baptism is an outward display of an inward change. The Lord's Supper is a symbolic, symbolic act. So their meaning lies in the message that they communicate, not in the act itself. So in a dramatic way, it shows an extraordinary loyalty of a a nomadic family, the Rechabites, to keep a command that they were given by an ancestor who lived 250 to 300 years earlier. Can you imagine? They were given this command, this vow that they took 250 to 300 years before. And they have kept it up to this point. Jeremiah used this occasion comparing the Rechabites and their faithfulness to the commands of the living God. You see, Jeremiah was facing the same kind of situation that we are pretty much facing in our day. Where people are turning their backs against God and the things of God. Verses 1 through 5 sets the background for this chapter. And it gives us the approximate time that the prophecy was given to him. And the people who were involved in this prophecy. It's Jeremiah's test of the Rechabites. So let's begin with chapter 35 and verses 1 through 2. It says, The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, saying, Go to the house of the Rechabites, speak to them, and bring them into the house of the Lord, into one of the chambers, and give them wine to drink. So this, this chapter starts out with a reminder that we see often. The words, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord. You see, the Lord spoke to Jeremiah. God instructed Jeremiah to go to the Rechabites, who were actually Kenites. They weren't really Israelites, but their heritage was traced back to the father-in-law of Moses, who was Jethro. So there's a close connection with Israel, but the father-in-law of Moses lived in the area of Sinai. And when Moses fled to Egypt for 40 years, living there in the Sinai Peninsula area, he met Jethro and married Jethro's daughter, Zipporah. So the Canaanites were descendants from Jethro, the father-in-law of Moses. Now, Rechab, from where the Rechabites family got its name, they lived around the time of Jehu. His son Jonadab made a covenant with Jehu. So this means that Jonadab lived about 250 to 300 years before this event here in chapter 35 where God tested them with this covenant and their their faithfulness to this covenant. So the commandment was given by Jonadab to his boys and everybody else not to drink wine. It was a commandment, like I said, that was about 250 to 300 years old and they were still abiding by it. Now, how many of you know who your relatives are over 250 years ago. You know, we basically have no idea. What if your ancestors over 250 years ago got their sons and, and, and their descendants, their children, and said, boys, I don't want you to drink any wine. I don't want any of your children after you to drink any wine. I don't want you to live in houses, but I want you to live in tents. I don't want you to plant any vineyards. How many of you think that you'd be obeying some order that was given uh, by some relative 250 years ago? Probably not many. Yet that's exactly what you have here with the Rechabites. 
This commandment of Jonadab was to his son Rechab, to his children, and not to drink any wine, not to plant any vineyards, not to sow any seeds, not to build houses, but to live in tents. And they were at this time, in chapter 35, still keeping that commandment some 250 years later. Now, it's believed that the Bedouins of today are descendants of Rechab because they still live in tents today. You can still see them in Israel. The Israel government tried to put them in houses, and they built houses for them near Beersheba, and they tried to get the Bedouins into some housing. But they would put up their tents next to the houses that, they were, that were built for them, and they used those houses for their chief, for their leader, and in, in, in all other things. And they would sleep in their tents. Again, they're an interesting people with an interesting culture. And part of that culture is not drinking wine. They were great uh, coffee drinkers and, and the social drink for them is coffee. But they still live in tents. They still don't plant any crops or vineyards. Just living out in the wilderness and they would keep their flocks of sheep and goats. But when the Babylonians invaded their land... After their first invasion in 606 B.C., the Rechabites left Israel in such a weakened condition that Syria and other neighboring countries began to attack them because of their weakened condition. So the Rechabites, for safety reasons, moved from the fields into Jerusalem so that they might have the advantage of the fortified city of Jerusalem. They had the walls. They'd be protected by the walls of Jerusalem. So at this particular time, in chapter 35, they were living in Jerusalem. Now, as we've heard in verses 1 and 2, Jeremiah was told by the Lord to invite them to come to this room that was in the temple. And there were rooms that were storerooms. There were rooms for the priests who lived there, and there were rooms for like just all-purpose gatherings. This was one of the rooms of meetings, and Jeremiah sets the family down in one of these rooms, and he brings out some wine, and he invites them to drink. And I can hear you already well, is God tempting them to drink? You know, why, why would God, you know, they have this command and he's praising about not drinking. And then he, he sets them up sort of like, you know, tempting them to sin. Well, let's look at verses three through five. It says, then I took Jeazaniah, the son of Jeremiah, the son of Habazaniah, his brothers and all his sons, and the whole house of the Rechabites, and I brought them into the house of the Lord, notice, into the chamber of the sons of Hanan, the son of Igdalia, a man of God, which was by the chamber of the princes above the chamber of Maaseah, the son of Shalom, the keeper of the door. Then I set before the sons of the house of the Rechabites bowls full of wine and cups, and I said to them, drink wine. So Jeremiah takes them to this room, he sets them down, and in front of them, that is the Rechabite men, and the, he sets these large bowls of wine in front of them, and, and he get, they have cups, and they would fill their cups of wine from these bowls, and then he says, hey guys, drink up. You know, it was a real tempting opportunity for these people to break that commandment of their ancestors that was given them to them some 250 years earlier, uh, if that's what they wanted to do. Now, as I said, did God just tempt these men to sin? God didn't ask Jeremiah to serve the the Rechabites wine in order to tempt them. Because as James tells us, God does not tempt anyone with evil. 
So he says, if you're tempted, don't blame it on God. Sin, sin is the breaking of God's commands. First John 3, 4 says, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. So God won't tempt people to sin against him. But this doesn't mean he won't test them, which is a big difference. James tells us in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. God considers human sacrifice detestable, as we know. And yet, what did he command Abraham to do? To sacrifice his son, but as a test of his faith. God had no intentions of letting Abraham actually sacrifice his son. But God wanted to show how strong Abraham's obedience was to him. He said in Genesis twenty two twelve, Do not lay your hand on the lad, speaking to Abraham, or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, Abraham, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So in the same, <clears throat> in the same way, <clears throat> God knew about the command of Jonadab to his descendants, the Rechabites. He also knew how strong their commitment was to their father's words. God knew that, that, they, would turn, that they would turn Jeremiah down. And it became a good comparison to Israel's disobedience to God. So that was the whole purpose. They were to be a, a, a comparison in their obedience or a contrast to the disobedience of God's people. In verses 6 through 11, the Rechabites refused to break Jonadab's vow. Look at verses 6 through 7. But they said, after Jeremiah said, hey, drink up. They said, we will drink no wine. And here's why. Because Jonadab, the son of Rechab, your father commanded us, saying, you shall drink no wine. You nor your sons forever. You shall not build a house, sow seed, plant a vineyard, or have any of these. But all your days you shall dwell in tents, that you may live many days in the land where you are sojourners. Notice that. They said to Jeremiah, "Uh uh-uh. They refused to drink, referring to this commandment that they were honoring some 250 to 300 years earlier by one of their ancestors, Jonadab, this, this you know, uh, commandment to, the, to Jonadab and his children. Now, it could have been that Jonadab became disgusted and disillusioned by the corruption and immorality that he saw in, this, in city life. And he decided that he would spare himself and his family from the bad influence of living in the city. So they were never to build houses. They were never to plant seed or vineyards. You know, and they had to live in tents all of their life. You know, and and when I thought of this, I thought, it's the picture of the believer in the world today. This is not their home. They aren't to make this their permanent place to settle down. We're sojourners. We're pilgrims. We're just passing through. The lifestyle that he prescribed here for his descendants, that is what Jonadab prescribed for his descendants, was that of a nomadic shepherd. He didn't have a permanent place to live. He could pick up and move, and he could move at any time like Israel had done during their wilderness journeys. Jonadab pronounced a blessing on his descendants if they would obey his command. He said they would live a long time in the land where they were sojourners, travelers. So you can still see these Bedouin camps all over 
in Israel. And I remember the time that I went as we would drive to different places. You could see these Bedouin tents. You'll see them near Jerusalem. You'll see them around Bethlehem in the wilderness areas. These people are still all over the land. But the interesting thing is, though they still live in tents, they now have some of the modern, that they had generators. You see TVs, you see antennas, because they were wide open in the front. And so you could see these modern day things in those tents, though they were still living in tents. Look at verses 8 through 10. Thus we have obeyed the voice of, of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, our father, in all that he charged us to drink no wine all our days, we, our wives, our sons, or our daughters, nor to build houses, uh, to build ourselves houses to dwell in, nor do we have vineyard, field, or seed. Verse 10, but we have dwelt in tents and have obeyed and done according to all that Jonadab, our father, commanded us. So the Rechabites made it known to Jeremiah, hey, we have never broken Jonadab's command by drinking wine or building houses or planting vineyards or crops. They continued to live in tents and they had carefully obeyed all the commands of Jonadab. Their careful obedience to command to a command of their long gone ancestor contrasts, and that's the whole picture that that that, that God is is painting here. He said the careful obedience to a command of their long ancestors, long gone ancestors of 200, 300, 250, 300 years before. He says contrasts the disobedience of Israel to the commands of the living God. Jeremiah was impressed at these people's obedience to this ancient commandment of their ancestor, Jonadab. He was impressed that these people, again, over 250 years later, would still be obeying the traditions that were laid down by their long-gone ancestors. Verse 11. But it came to pass when Nebuchadnezzar... King of Babylon came up into the land that we said, come, let us go to Jerusalem for fear of the army of the Chaldeans or the Babylonians and for fear of the army of the Syrians. So we dwell at Jerusalem. So they went ahead and and they explained to Jeremiah what seemed to be an inconsistency with their vows because they said, you know, we were not going to live in cities, but here they went to Jerusalem to live there. And, And they were now living in houses in Jerusalem. But they were only there, it says in verse 11, because King Nebuchadnezzar invaded the land. So they were there in Jerusalem only temporarily. They only entered Jerusalem to protect themselves from the Babylonians and the Syrian armies. Now, it doesn't say, but it's certain that the Rechabites planned to leave Jerusalem as soon as the danger was gone. Now, in verses 12 through 17, it gives us a lesson for Judah. Look at verses 12 and 13. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Go and tell the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Notice, will you not receive instruction to obey my words, says the Lord? So again, God is making this sharp contrast between the Rechabites, who faithfully obeyed the commandments of their earthly father, And the children of Judah, he's making this comparison, who didn't uh, pay attention to the commandments of their loving heavenly father. He's basically saying, look at the Rechabites and how faithful they were in obeying the commands of an earthly father. And here you don't pay any attention to your loving heavenly father. 
The Lord told Jeremiah, go tell the people of Jerusalem and confront them with this lesson that they needed to learn from the Rechabites. The Rechabites example should have shamed Judah into obeying the Lord. Verses 14 through 16. The words of Jonadab, the son of Rechab, which he commanded his sons not to drink wine, notice, are performed to this day. They drink none, and they obey their father's commandment. But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking to you, you do not obey. I have sent also to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying... Turn now everyone from his evil way, amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of Jonadab, the sons of Rechab, have performed the commandment of their father, which he commanded them. But this people has not obeyed me. Now, God wasn't necessarily approving of the nomadic lifestyle of the Rechabites, that is their asceticism, that is the practice of strict self-denial. But he was definitely recommending the Rechabites' obedience to the commands of a dead ancestor not to drink wine or under the other, any of the other things that they vowed not to do. So in comparison, God had spoken to his people. He said, hey, I I came to you rising early and speaking literally again and again to you. Those prophets that came to you, they had faithfully communicated God's warnings that the people must turn from their wicked ways. They must amend their doings, that is, make good and don't serve other gods. And God said, if you would obey, what, what, you know, obey me, he says, I, will, I promise that, that you will stay in the land. And that he'd give, them, give, and he'd give them and their ancestors the land. But their history proved that they didn't pay attention to the Lord. The compassion, I'm sorry, the comparison between the Rechabites' obedience and Judah's disobedience, it was so obvious. Obedience to the Lord's commands. Hey, it isn't a problem that was new to the Hebrews. It was always a problem to the Hebrews. From the beginning of the Jews' history, the human race has insisted on exercising its independence from God. They want to be free from God. And, And it hasn't learned yet the lesson that declaring your own independence from God, it doesn't bring the happiness or the blessings that the devil will promise you. I mean, we are hearing the word evil a lot today because there are things that are happening today that people can say there's no other word for it but evil now what what constitutes evil from a biblical standpoint it's anything that destroys you or others around you and the commandments of god were to protect people from destroying themselves and each other and it's really sad But man seems to have a real serious lack of sound judgment today. And does things that are so destructive to him and to others. And he doesn't seem to want to stop doing those things. And here's the the strange part, but this is what sin does. Even though they know that those things that they're doing is going to destroy them. Look at how many people and families have been and are being destroyed by drinking and drug abuse. 
You know, there's probably not a family around that, that, that hasn't been touched in some way or another by alcoholism or by drugs. You know, it, it, it's one thing after another that God has forbidden. Warned us about these kind of things because it's destructive. It's destructive in nature. It's destructive. And, and in God's mind, it's evil. And evil is that which destroys yourself and others. Good is that which builds up and will edify you and strengthen you. But that which destroys you or your family or tears you down or tears down the society that you live in, God said, that's evil. And we see a lot of that today. The evil that is tearing down this society. You see, God wants the best for you and me. He wants the best for us. Just like a loving father is interested in your welfare and he wants the best for you. You know, God set up the basic rules for society when he gave the Ten Commandments and the law to Israel. And he made it very clear by keeping this law. He said that you'll live long and you'll stay in the land and you'll be a strong community of people. He said, but if you break these commandments, you know, you'll be destroyed and it'll be your own doing. And you'll be driven from the land. These commandments, they're basic. Basic foundational laws for preserving and protecting and the development of a strong and healthy society. And when the United States was established, man, our forefathers based our whole system of laws on the Ten Commandments and the law of God. And these were the foundations of our society and our nation grew strong and it became powerful. But now we've come to a point in our nation where we're seeking to be free from God, to be free from our uh, free to, to free ourselves from these basic laws, these Ten Commandments and the law of God. And the courts of the land have done a real good job in misinterpreting as well as redefining what the Constitution says. And so so that those constitutional laws that were intended for our benefit, our good, to keep us on the right track, they've been misinterpreted in the courts. And rather than freedom of religion, they've interpreted as freedom from religion. They've totally missed the whole idea of the founding fathers and of our nation. Because of their rulings, they've opened up the door for all kinds of evils under the guise of free speech. They've opened up the doors of abortion. They've opened up the doors of all kinds of evil to exist. Adultery, sexual perversion of all kinds. This transgendering of our children. And and, and taking away parents' rights. Not being told what's going on in school about certain things. All under the name of freedom. These things have brought people into horrible bondage and evil and destructive behavior. A person that's, again, addicted to drugs or alcohol, whatever. Hey, is that really being free? They're slaves to it. They're in bondage to it. God in his wisdom knew what he was doing when he established the laws, when he gave us the Ten Commandments. But man is now destroying God's laws and redefining them. 
or trying to redefine them because they're God's laws and they'll stand forever. And they're trying to force upon us calling evil good and good evil. They're trying to force upon us to, to, to you know, to, to look at them as it's the right thing to do. Now here are people, the Rechabites, who are, who are obeying a traditional cultural thing that was passed down to them from ancestors some 250 years older, and they're still obeying it. I mean, that's amazing, and that's, you know, that's commendable. They were still following these laws set by Jonadab, again, over 250 years earlier, and here they are, the people, and here are the people of God with the perfect law of God, and they're not listening to God. And so God said to them in verse 16, turn from your evil ways and amend your doings. He says, change. Change your life. Change the way you're living. You know, flee from idolatry. Verse 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring on Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Notice, all the doom that I have pronounced against them because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard. And I have called to them, but they have not answered. God says, because of your continued disobedience, he says, I'm going to bring upon you all the doom Every disaster, literally all the evil that he had already pronounced against them. They were like disobedient children or a disobedient child who refused to answer when their parents called. And then in verses 18 through 19, these verses commend the Rechabites. Look at verses 18 and 19. And Jeremiah said to the house of the Rechabites, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have obeyed the commandment of Jonadab your father, and you've kept all of his precepts, and you've done according to all that he commanded you, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, shall not lack a man to stand stand before me forever. So here Jeremiah spoke to the Rechabites, And he commended them for their obedience to their ancestors' command. And because of their faithfulness, the Lord pronounced a blessing upon them through Jeremiah. And God promised them that they wouldn't lack a man to stand before him forever. In other words, the blessing to the Rechabites is a promise that they wouldn't be destroyed as a family. And God said, hey, you will always have descendants who serve me. The Rechabites' example served as a, as a hot rebuke, a fire rebuke to the people of Judah, even though they weren't convicted by it. You know, it's really pretty amazing that anyone would keep a vow made by an ancestor hundreds of years earlier or, or consider it still binding on their children, on their descendants. But it's just as amazing that anyone who enters into a covenant relationship with God through the new covenant today through Jesus Christ would be inclined to, to, be, to a lie of disobedience. The, com- the commendation to the Rechabites for their faithfulness and the warning to Judah for its unfaithfulness has an applicable lesson for us tonight. The message to the nation of Judah was clear. 
If the command of a just man, Jonadab, was respected and obeyed by his family for over 200 years, why didn't the people of Israel and Judah obey the command of Almighty God? A command that the prophets had repeated over and over and over again. If a family tradition was obeyed with such dedication and commitment, why was the actual law of God treated with such disrespect? That's the comparison that God is making here between the Rechabites and the people of Judah. Obeying Jonadab's words had only a limited and temporary importance. But think about it. Disobeying God's word, man, that has an eternal those, that has eternal consequences. And how often people, God's people are put to shame by the devotion and the discipline of people who don't even know the Lord. But they are intensely loyal to their families, their religion, and their, or their personal interests, their goals. Even people who want nothing to do with the word of God can be loyal to traditions and man-made rules. If Christians were putting into their spiritual walk the kind of discipline that athletes put into their, their sport, the church would be alive, exciting, and thriving with revival life. So in closing, as Paul said to Timothy, soldiers don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life because they can't please the officer who enlisted them. He said, athletes... They can't win the prize unless they follow the rules. He said, hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. And Paul said, hey, think about what I'm saying. Think about it. He said, and the Lord will help you to understand all these things. Father, we thank you so much for this chapter, Lord. It's, Father, it's so right on for today god so applicable to us today god your people your people of the hour lord father we're called to obey the almighty god the loving father that we have lord so father help us to take a hold of this chapter lord and to ponder it to think about it Lord, to look closely at it. And may it bring conviction. May it settle in our hearts, Lord. As a reminder, we are called to obey you, God. A life of obedience and surrender. And Father, you, in return, said you would take care of us, God. You'd meet our every need. And the one that's most important, God, our eternal destiny, God. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your, your fiery exhortations, God, and your fiery rebukes, God. But, Lord, may we open our hearts and our ears to hear and to receive your word, God, and to make it alive in our life every day. And we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.